Good morning. My name is Wendy Lyon, and I am part of the teaching team. And I'm so excited because I get to teach on Daniel 6, Daniel in the lion's den, and my last name is Lyon. It could not be a more perfect lesson for me. Um, We have heard, well, many of you have already heard about um, the story of Daniel in the lion's den growing up. And I, I thought, oh, I know this story. I'm reading the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And I realized there is so much in this chapter. And Daniel was an amazing man of obedience and of integrity. And I want to be just like him. Uh, God wants us to be women of integrity because his desires for others to come to know him. And when our character reflects Christ's characters, others will want to know him. And no one communicated this point better than someone I knew named Alice. And she was the director of a summer camp where I worked. And I talk about this camp a lot because God really changed my life there. Um, I was a camp counselor at a Christian camp right outside of Austin, pretty much all of my college life. And Alice would say to us and remind us every week, you have a great influence on these campers. And they look up to you. And it was true because uh, many, especially the junior high girls, they just loved hanging out with college girls. And we loved them, too. We had lots of responsibilities. And one of the responsibilities was to teach a class. So based on our experience, we would teach um, for two hours a class like uh, canoeing or horseback riding or archery. Um, my only experience in very little was tennis. And the tennis court was the hottest place to be at camp. There were no trees. You just basically baked in the sun. And I was not about to tell anyone that I had any tennis experience. So I kept that real hush-hush. So on the first week of camp, when we volunteered for our classes to teach a class, um, all the other counselors snapped up the swimming and the water sports and all the cool stuff. And I thought, oh, man, I'm going to get stuck on that tennis court. And then Alice said, this year we've added one more sport. We've added a class, and it's sailing, and I'm excited about it. But I hope one of you has some experience sailing. And I raised my hand. Yes, I'll do it. And she said, Wendy, you have experience sailing? I said, yep, sure do. (laughs) I didn't care. It was on the water. And I didn't know a thing about sailing. Not a thing. I'd never been in a sailboat. I didn't know the names of any parts of the sailboat. I'd heard mast on TV, so I thought I could throw that word out. No one would ever catch me. And I thought, how hard could it be? I've canoed. It's just like a canoe. If we go off course, I'll just get an oar out and row us. The only difference is there's these projectiles from the bottom of the boat. So um, I thought, I I can do this. So um, on our first day of sailing, um, I have my two sweet girls, these 13-year-old girls, and the boats we had were called snarks. They were these little um, foam uh, sailboats and fit about three of us in there. And in the middle of these boats was a um, hollow hole where you stuck a wooden board called a dagger board. I didn't know that name till last week. A dagger board you stick in this hole and it protrudes from the keel, the bottom of the boat, lengthwise to keep your boat stable so it doesn't take on water and doesn't shift from side to side. Now these dagger boards are laying in the side of the boat because on shore they can get damaged. And then when you push out, 
put the daggerboard in. I didn't know what that was. We just, I said, hop in, pushed us out, boom, like that. The wind, whoosh, like a piece of paper, swept us off out in the middle of Lake LBJ, and we were headed to the other side of the shore. It was out of control. I was shouting things in a panic like, grab that pole and move it over here and um, pull that string. And one of the campers held up the board, and she she said, do you think I should put this in there? And I said, yes, just put that in there. Maybe that'll help. We ended up Camp, um, landing hard on the other side of Lake LBJ, and it was windy, and it was the most long, awkward silence. And we had tipped too. I mean, because we had nothing to keep us steady, we were sitting in water this high. And thank goodness the boat was made of foam because we floated. Um, we had to flag down the ski class, and they had to come over and hook up our sailboat and drag us in. And it took a long time because we were practically submerged. Um, it was just. It was such a bummer. I felt so bad for these girls. I, I look back, I think, what were their parents thinking on the way home? What? How was your sailing class? Oh, we sank. We didn't get to sail. Sailboat's out of order because our counselor said she could sail and she couldn't. What? What kind of camp hires counselors like that that don't know anything about their classes? I had sunk my reputation as a counselor. I had lied. And um, I look back and laugh, but um, I was really disappointed in myself as a leader. And I was disappointed in um, what I had done to those girls. Because that class was two hours long. And we sat on the shore for an hour and a half, just sitting there in humiliation. And because 30 minutes of the time the ski class pulled us in, and, you know, five seconds was that, you know, quick sailing excursion from to the other side of the lake. So we didn't have any sailing experience at all. My, I lied. Um, they replaced me with a staff person, thankfully. Um, but I lied. I lied again to cover up that lie. And then I even lied to my director to save face and say, yes, I knew a little bit. I, I didn't know anything. And I just got us into a big mess. I was definitely not a Daniel. If you ask what kind of leader is Daniel, I would have to say I can't think of a better example of someone who is um, obedient and such a man of integrity. His character was honest and pure. He lived by truth, and God was like his dagger board that kept him steady. He never wavered to the right or the left. Daniel was in a position of enormous, uh, amount of influence. He could have used this position for himself, for power, for prestige, for riches. But Daniel chose to live a life of integrity. And because of his choices, God used him in a mighty, mighty way. Daniel 6 is much like a movie because I love that there's just this good guy and then there's these bad guys and the bad guys want to take out the good guy, but they aren't successful and the good guy wins. Isn't it kind of like a movie? Okay, let's start reading in Daniel 6.1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities 
that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now, I don't know if you remember last week, Vanita said that uh, Belshazzar had this big party on October 12, 539 B.C. I thought that was really neat because on October 13, 539 B.C. is when Cyrus came in and took over Babylon, 24 hours, taken over, God moved swiftly. Um, And we've studied a lot of prophecy in Daniel. And you'll see that King Cyrus represented that chest and arms of silver. He also represented the um, bear in chapter 7 and the ram in chapter 8. And so I think it's really exciting that we get to see this prophecy being fulfilled. Cyrus uh, appointed Darius as the king of Babylon. And he brought with him his two administrators. They were his right-hand men and 120 satraps, and then there was Daniel, the Israelites. So, uh, and Daniel outshined these guys. He was exceptional in his leadership, um, and he was honest, so Darius kept him around. The administrators did not take his promotion very well, and we'll see that in verse 4. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue a decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Purge, which could not be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Here's where that plot thickens and trouble is stirring among the leadership of Babylon. Can you imagine how much work it would take to daily retrace somebody's steps? It would take a lot of time. These guys would follow Daniel and check every document signed, every communication, every order given, his public life, his private life. It was an all-out investigation of Daniel. His, just every area of his life laid bare. That would be like someone going and checking your email, opening your letters, checking your Facebook, checking your checkbook, checking to see if you arrive places on time. You do the work you're told to do, be a lot. Not only is it a ton of work, but it takes time. The administrators and satraps' hearts were consumed with jealousy, and that's why they did all this. Jealousy, and that's on your outline. Does anybody remember the um, ice skaters Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan? Yeah, that's a um, great story of jealousy. Nancy Kerrigan was favored to win the Olympics and the National Figure Skating Championships in 1994. She was really good. Tanya was not as good as Nancy, and there was some jealousy there. And while right before warm-ups, when Nancy was sitting down on a bench waiting to go on, her boyfriend came and took a crowbar and just whacked her in the knee as hard as he could. It knocked her out of the competition. Um, 
she eventually went on to compete in the Olympics, and thankfully Tanya was banned from figure skating altogether. Um, but uh, Tanya's boyfriend didn't want just instantly, in a, in a moment's time, say, I'm, I think I'm just going to grab that crowbar and hit her knee. No, his actions were planned. It was a result of this festering jealousy in her heart. Galatians 5:19 and 20 says, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Jealousy unchecked is almost always in the company of other sin. In your homework, you read about many great people in the Bible, such as David and Saul, that came up against jealousy. Um, Do you remember Saul was jealous of David? He was so jealous, it just consumed him. It almost made him crazy. He grabbed a spear and tried to pierce David. He thought, David's more popular than me. I'll fix that. Darius likes Daniel more than us. We'll fix that. Immediately, jealousy consumed their hearts, and they put their feelings of jealousy into action. Now, we might not be grabbing a crowbar or murdering someone, but I think we as women, sometimes we can harm with our, use our mouth. These poisonous words just kind of rule off our tongue. I read a, a really funny quote by Will Rogers, and it said, um, Live in such a way that you would, sell, you would not be ashamed to sell your parrot to the town gossip. <laughs> Did you get that? Live in such a way that you would not sell your parrot to the town gossip. I think the weapon we use to harm others is our tongue. Psalm 141.6 says, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord, and keep watch over the door of my lips. And Luke 6.45, The good man brings good things, stored, brings good out of the good things stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, the mouth speaks. We can capture those jealous thoughts. We can confess them. Control our tongue. And ask God to replace that jealousy in our hearts with his love. Jealousy is tough. And when we handle other success, the way we handle the other successes will not go unnoticed. Because we represent Christ in our relationships. Now, what if you are like Daniel and you are um, really uh, obeying God and following his will and you are the target of of jealousy? Um, Just remember, um, when you have integrity, you will come up against some opposition. You You might be misunderstood, but God holds your reputation, your reputation, and you can be free of other people's opinions. You do not have to worry about what they think when we're obeying God. Daniel knew he, all he had to do was worry about being obedient to God, and he didn't let anything distract him from that. So what dirt did these guys get on Daniel? Absolutely nothing. That's a true test of Daniel's character. No corruption could be found in him. He was found honest, trustworthy, and responsible. Daniel's heart on your outline was devoted devoted to obedience to God. He walked in truth, and there was no need to cover up any of his transaction because he was honest, 
Even when no one was looking, he was honest. Um, I love the book, The Scarlet Letter. Um, and there is a, a great quote in there that says, A pure hand needs no glove to cover it. Daniel's life was completely uncovered, completely laid bare for these guys to examine and see. And he didn't need to cover anything because there was nothing to cover. All right, I can just see the administrators calling the secret meeting. Okay, guys, we found nothing. We got nothing on this guy. We got to do something. Aha! He prays to his God. We got to make a law that has to do with his God. That's it. We'll write a law that allows only worship to King Darius for 30 days. And anyone who prays to him will be thrown into the lion's den. Now, I don't know about you, but I would not want to be on the wrong side of the law in Babylon. Because so far we've discovered the execution is by being cut to pieces and your houses turned to rubble, burned alive in the fiery furnace, or fed to lions. So it would be not a good place to live at this time. Um, We see in verse 9 it says, So King Darius put the decree in writing, and just like that, this law appealed to his ego without any thought of what consequences this might mean for Daniel. So let's read verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he has done before. Then these men went at his group as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed, and he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort from sun sun up to sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. Okay, this this decree was only for 30 days. So if, if this were me, I would think I would just find another place to pray. I would go undercover for 30, I just had 30 days. And then I'd be back in my room at Jerusalem, um, in my room with my window facing Jerusalem on my knees, get out of this whole death thing, done. So why did Daniel make this choice? Daniel had options during these 30 days to save his own life by changing his prayer time. But he went straight to his knees because nothing could get in the way of his relationship with God. I look at Daniel's character and, um, I think, how does he do this? How is he so strong? Daniel had an intimate relationship with God. Talking to God was a way of, a, a way of life for Daniel. It was a source of strength. He was solid. Nothing was going to get in the way of his, him meeting with God, not even death. I did a little math. Um, 
And if Daniel started praying when he was 16, so that was the age when he was captured and brought to Babylon, and he played three times a day, every day of the year, he was on his knees for 73,365 times. That is a lot of prayer. Daniel had a lifetime of experiencing God's faithfulness. Daniel also knew only God could meet his needs. He knew Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. He chose to believe what God says is true, and he could rest on those truths. And that's how he did it. That's how he did it. There's a song on one of my um, kids' CDs. I think it might be a hymn, too. It's called, um, I Shall Not Be Moved. And um, the, lines, the lines say, If my friends forsake me, I shall not be moved. If my friends forsake me, I shall not be moved. And each line is said three times. Um, if my, when my burden's heavy, I shall not be moved. And the last line is, Glory, hallelujah! I shall not be moved. Daniel's like a tree planted by that water. Every day, three times a day, he humbled himself in prayer, getting on his knees for refreshment, for nourishment, and just like water satisfies our thirst, God satisfies our soul. Daniel could not be moved by his own power, but by God working through him. His character was so solid and so strong that when he was arrested, I bet he prayed the entire way to the lion's den because he was praying to a God he knew well. He'd spent a lot of time with this God. And he knew he would deliver him. Let's look at verse 16. So the king gave an order, and they brought Daniel and threw him in the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel! Servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Okay, the lion's den was this big um, pit. From what I studied, it was a, um, like a big, giant hole, kind of like we, we've seen in the pictures. And then it was sealed over the top, so it was dark. And I'm sure it was dark and cold in there. Um, I think probably the scariest part of being in, thrown in the lion's den is that moment right before you get thrown in, just knowing this is probably the last time I'll see humans. This is the last time um, I'll see the light of day. Um, 
it, I'm sure it was scary, thinking it would be lonely on the way down. But who was waiting for him at the bottom? An angel. Because the angel of the Lord was there to shut the lion's mouth. God didn't just meet Daniel up in his room. He met him in the darkest and loneliest and scariest of times. Psalm 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. And Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Daniel was saved because he trusted in God. And when we place our trust in God, we are saved from death and given eternal life. This isn't on your verse sheet. Um, I should have put it on there. But uh, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Daniel was protected from death. And when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we too are saved from death. And we get to live forever with him. You know, I've heard this story so many times, and it just seems so fast in Sunday school. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. He's rescued. Yay! But um, I, I really think, I, I when I, as I was studying this, I think Daniel was in that uh, den for about seven to eight hours with very hungry beasts staring at him for a very long time. And I think, um, I don't know this for sure, I think that lion, that angel stayed the entire time. That's a long time to spend in a, spend in a den. I think he spent the entire night talking to God and obviously praising him and thanking him. But I also think he had a big smile on his face because he could not wait to tell Darius and the Israelites, Look what God has done. I cannot wait to tell them what God's done in my life and how he saved me. God always punishes the wicked. And so that very same law that the um, administrators and satraps um, put into effect to kill Daniel ended up being the demise of them and their family because God is just. And Daniel got to tell Darius what God had done for him said, my God sent an angel and shut the mouths of the lions. And now Darius will get to tell the entire kingdom about the one true God. And let's uh, read about that. The public testimony in verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and the men of every language throughout the land. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues. He saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Remember um, Nebuchadnezzar um, also issued a decree, praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who have sent his angel to rescue his servants. So I issue a decree that no one can say anything against their God, um, against their God, for no other God can save in this way. Nebuchadnezzar issued a decree, and now the God, um, 
the king Darius of the Medo-Persian kingdom will issue a decree to fear the God of Daniel. Isn't that amazing? God is glorified under one king and then also another, under the next king. Darius was worshipped for 30 days, and I'm going back a little bit. Um, he tried from sunup till sundown to save Daniel. He had anxiety. He was probably thinking, well, if I go to the, that rock and I try to figure out how I can move it, I could lower a rope and I could save Daniel. He couldn't figure it out all night. He could not figure it out. But God, in his mighty power, saved Daniel by sending the angel. God is powerful and can do what no idol or no king could do. He's a living God and he rescues and saves. Everything that happened to Daniel, God planned because he's in control. It's by his hand that Darius was made king. By his hand, Daniel was placed in leadership. And he has a plan for us. How will we lead the people that God has placed under our influence? First, make daily decisions that have eternal significance. Now, what does that mean? All the decisions that we make, big or small, matter to God. Luke 16.10 says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. As Daniel grew older, he was promoted and given more and more responsibilities because he trusted Daniel. And I'm sure a lot of you have seen um, the movie Courageous. I love that movie. And there is a character in there named Javier. And Javier is a very poor man, a God-fearing man. And he struggled to put food on his table and feed his family. And so he um, had, and he had trouble finding work. So he um, finally found a job. God blessed him with this job. It was a factory job. But he did a great job at it. He did such a good job that he was recognized by his manager. And he was called in the office, and his manager said, Javier, we see your exceptional qualities, and we want to promote you. We want you to be manager of your department. His eyes lit up, because this would mean a salary raise, which he needed for his family. And he was so excited, and he said, and you can start tomorrow. You'll be in charge of keeping track of all the orders that are shipped in and shipped out. And here's our first order. And we have 17 crates that are coming in, but I want you to only report 16. And he said, but there's 17 on here. He goes, but yeah, I only want you to report 16. Are you on my team? So Javier went home, and he prayed about it knowing that he could lose his job altogether. And he came back and he told his boss, I can't take this job, knowing that it would mean his family wouldn't have food. I can't take this job. I have chosen to lead my family. I've chosen um, with honesty. I want to be a man of integrity. And for that reason, I just can't take this job. And I hope I'm not spoiling the movie for you if you haven't seen it, but the, the manager stands up and puts his hand out And he said, Javier, you got the job. You knew you were the person I could trust. You were just the right man for this job. 
um, Proverbs 28.6 says, Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one perverse in his ways, though he be rich. God values integrity. Javier's decision brought him closer to God. And his wife and his children got to see firsthand how God blesses obedience. That decision had eternal significance. Whether it's making a difficult choice at work like Javier or those little decisions at home, God wants us to, to entrust us with all the little things so he can trust us with big things. Philippians 2.15 says, You are to leave clean, innocent lives as children of God in a dark world full of crooked and perverse people. Yet let your light shine brightly before them. Okay, maybe you're thinking, because this thought has come through my mind too, Daniel's so perfect. They found no corruption in him. I have corruption in me. Well, because Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we know that Daniel was a sinner just like us. But he kept his heart, heart pure because I know that three times a day when he got down on his knees to pray, confession was part of that prayer time to keep his heart pure. Or you might be thinking, I need some guidance. This is kind of new to me. Um, I need help making godly decisions. Daniel did too. The key to Daniel's great integrity is what that he believed, what God said was true, and he lived it. Psalm 25, 9 says, He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. Spend time with God in prayer. Be still before him so you can listen to him. God's like that dagger board for us. He keeps us from swaying to the right or left, keeps us from going off course and taking on water. And the Bible, it's like our compass. It's our guide. The Bible has everything we need to know to guide us. And finally, rejoice that he gets all the glory. When we choose to be a woman of integrity, we're choosing to point others to Christ. I don't think when this decree went out that Daniel ran down and said, Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yes, God shut the lion's mouth, but I did this and I did that. No, he wanted God to get all the glory. The public testimony of God's faithfulness in Daniel's life gave hope and encouragement to the Israelites held captive in Babylon. In the end, God was glorified. And that's what you do during praise time. I love it. You are proclaiming God's goodness. When you stand up, you're telling everybody what God's done in your life. This life matters. Our choices matter. Our relationship with God matters. And there is a public that is watching. And hopefully when people ask you, just like we asked Daniel, how did you do it? We get the awesome opportunity to say, my God, who's a living God, who rescues and he saves, let me tell you what he's done in my life. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for giving us your word to guide us so that we can walk and know how to love you in truth, how to walk in truth, Lord. Help us to be a bright light to those who do not know you. We love you and praise you for your continued work in us. In your name I pray. Amen.